Welcome back to Bible time. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8, it says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would exalt Jesus Christ. We pray that this text would be preached with clarity and that your Holy Spirit would do a work in people's heart that no man can do, that you would speak to people and that you would use this message, Father God, to warn the wicked from their evil way, Father, before it's too late. And Lord, that the saints would be encouraged and recognize, Lord, that you said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And Lord, that we don't have to pay back in this life. We don't have to fight back in this life. You're going to take care of it. Help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're down here in Mobile, Alabama. We've been um, trying to do some work here, getting a tent up. So I'd appreciate your prayers um, as we get started on this. We've been we haven't gotten out as many podcasts as we normally do, um, just because of these other um, things that are all happening here. Just keep us in prayer. We'll keep, we'll put up as many as we can. Lord willing, we'll also be putting up some of the services from the tent once we get it up, Lord willing, April 3rd through 7th here um, in year 2023. So here we go, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, in flaming fire, this is Jesus Christ in verse 7, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, last time we preached, we talked about this a little bit. We talked about the Lord Jesus being revealed from heaven, and we talked about the fact that Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ from heaven, is a two-stage event. The first Thessalonians deals with the return of Jesus Christ for his bride, the church. Second Thessalonians deals much more with the return of Jesus Christ with his bride to judge the earth in flaming fire. The first revelation of Jesus Christ will be missed by most people because he won't come all the way to earth. But the second revelation will not be missed. And I call them first and second. That's more for my sake. Um, but God doesn't. It's it's all one event to God. Um, that Remember, a day with the Lord is, is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. And the millennial reign, the whole thing, it can be referred to. Different aspects of it are referred to in the prophets as the day of the Lord. We've done that before. You can look up our study on the day of the Lord. So you can find that you'll have prophecies about the day of the Lord that come to pass at the um, return of Christ for his bride, that come to pass at the return of Christ to judge the earth. There's some prophecies about the day of the Lord that will come to pass whenever Jesus Christ um, allows the devil to be loosed a little season and deceives all the nations of the earth and they come up and there's a final battle. And that, that whole stretch, that whole time frame is the day of the Lord in heavenly time frame, in heavenly chronology. Here on earth, it's a thousand years, but to, to God, it's um, just a day. Now here in Second Thessalonians, he says here that the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. If you go back to First Thessalonians... 
and I didn't have this one um, down. First Thessalonians 4.15, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Here Jesus Christ comes, and you have the shout of the archangel, so the angels are there, but there's a difference in Second Thessalonians whenever he says, the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I wasn't planning on getting in this, uh, jump, that we're going to jump this little rabbit just a little bit here. The angels, Jesus said that in heaven... We will be neither male nor female, but will be like unto the angels of God. And there and in, in other places, he's, the Bible says that God made us a little lower than the angels, that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels to become a man. But then the Bible tells us that we will be exalted to a glorified body. And that's in 1 Corinthians 15. You can look on that. This mortal must put on immortality and that the death will be swallowed up in life, um, defeat swallowed up in victory, the grave swallowed up, um, the last enemy to be, to be defeated will be death. And there in Revelation, there are, and in many places you find that there are those that are called angels by men who are not always angels. Sometimes in the Old Testament, they say it's an angel. And as you read the passage, God shows you um, by, as you just look carefully and closely that you're dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In another place that we'll get to Lord willing today in Revelation 19, there's a a man speaking to John the beloved and he and John falls down to worship him and he says unto him see thou do it not I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy and here this man and if you go back and look at the description of this man and the description of these men that are talking to him he calls them angels and he treats them as angels but here we find that this is just a prophet one of the prophets but he falls down before him because this man is arrayed in the glory of God. This man has such a likeness to Christ and such, which is just like the Bible says, by the way, it says in the Bible that when we see him, we shall be like him. And the Bible says his countenance is like lightning to look upon and his eyes is a flame of fire. We'll look at that a little bit today. His feet like brass, burnished brass in the burning in the fire. And this is the likeness of Christ that we are going to take on. So as we take on the likeness of Christ, we will ourselves be more glorious than the angels in a way like unto the angels. And there's, there's, Anyway, we're going to jump off of that rabbit trail before we get any further. I just want you to recognize that whenever he comes with the voice of the archangel, he's going to pick up his bride. When he comes back the second time, we're, and we'll see that, Lord willing, in this study today, he's going to come back with his saints. And his saints will be riding white horses. The armies in heaven will follow him riding white horses dressed in the clean linen, the righteousness of the saints. And there will be the bride of Jesus Christ returning. And from a earthly perspective, they will say, behold, here comes the Lord with his mighty angels. 
and they will not be differentiating between Charles Spurgeon and Michael when that happens. And I know that's going to blow some of your minds. They're not going to be differentiating between little Pastor Joe Joe Schmo down at the little church that nobody pays attention to and Gabriel. The fact of the matter is that God's servants are going to come back in power. They're going to come back in glory. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for that blessed hope. And when they come back, this world isn't going to be thinking about how foolish they were. I was just at a shopping center yesterday. We were um, out doing work for the tent. And we had been invited out to visit a church, uh, and and we went out there to share what's going on and to ask them to pray. And as we went out there to that church, guess what happened? A truck, an SUV pulled in over by this grassy lot, and here comes this guy. This guy jumps out, just a normal-looking guy, and he's wearing dress pants, and he's wearing a button-up shirt, and he's got his little um, black shoes on, and he opens up the back of his truck, and he pulls out a speaker, and we say, hey, wait, wait a second, what's going on here? And he put that thing out in the grass and he went back and he got another speaker and we said, he's about to preach. And he set that other speaker up and he, and he put up a little podium and he got, and he plugged in and get this. I was just talking to my wife about this. We need to get a power inverter and we can power some speakers off a power inverter. I was just talking about this. Well, that's what this guy did. And he powered the speakers right off of his car battery through a power inverter and he pulled out a microphone and he started preaching. And, you know, most people just drove right by him and he's out there. And I said, who is this guy? I went over and met him and talked to him a little bit, but he was a man on a mission and he didn't have time to talk. He was ready to preach. So I just exchanged a few words with him and he said, pray for us. Why do preachers say pray for us, by the way? Because any preacher worth his salt is preaching with the power of the Holy Spirit and with the presence of the Almighty, or he ain't worth his salt. And that's why preachers say that. He says, pray for us with these big eyes that said, I got to preach. Get out of my way. And I got out of his way. And I went back over to the van and we sat and listened for a little while. We ended up coming in almost late. Barely made it to church on time because we were sitting there listening to this street preacher. And he's out there saying, listen, Jesus did miracles when he came to earth. Jesus healed the sick. He healed the blind. But I've got a miracle to tell you about. The biggest miracle Jesus ever did was when he saved a sinner from his sins. And that's what Jesus did for me. And he preached the blood of Jesus Christ out on the street. Most people just drove right by. Some people stopped and listened. You could tell because they would pull over kind of just out of range where you could couldn't really see that they were listening, but they were listening and they'd roll their window bound and kind of tilt their head sideways and listen like, what's this joker saying out here? But you could see in their eyes, half of them were under conviction already whenever he would just by the fact that he was standing there and they needed to know why they felt the way they felt. And he was preaching in Spanish and English and you could see those um, Spanish people coming out of their Spanish shops and leaning up against the wall, pretending like they were just taking a smoke break so they could listen to the message. But most people drove by. One man got pretty angry and was shaking his head and and saying things under his breath in his car while he went by. But I've got news for you today. When a blood-bought, born-again Christian, that as far as I know that man was, comes back with Jesus Christ in glory, they are going to see a mighty angel. 
They're not going to see a foolish looking man standing out there tripping over his mic cables in the wet grass by a, by a shopping center. They're not going to see a nobody that nobody pays attention to. They're not going to see a fool that's been made a fool for Christ. They're going to see a mighty angel. And when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back from heaven with his mighty angels, some of those that we would, that people will call angels will be preachers. Some of them will be mommies who took their kids to church. Some of them will be old widow ladies. You hear me that you hear me today? Do you hear me today? Some of them will be old widow ladies coming back to judge the earth. You talk about women's rights. These people don't have a clue. These bunch of women livers out here are a bunch of stinking lying hypocrites. They don't have a clue. What they really are is a bunch of forgive the language pimps who are just trying to get your daughters out of the house so that they can sell them out to the world and expose their bodies and sell their souls to the devil. And that's what this liber movement is all about. This women's liberation movement is really, it's a farce. What it is, is they want to get girls out from under the protection of God-given authority so that the world can devour them and Satan can have his way with them like Satan has had with them. That's the real story behind this. But I'm telling you today, there's going to be old widows coming back with Jesus Christ in glory, in flaming fire. And this world's going to say, look, it's a mighty angel and no it's mrs de gacy or somebody like that coming back from heaven on a white horse in flaming fire to do judgment and justice to this world under the authority of jesus christ whose eyes are as a flame of fire hallelujah now if that don't get you excited you're on the wrong side today And if you're on the right side, that'll get you excited. Hallelujah. Oh, Miss Laura's coming back someday. Oh, the world looked over her. The world looked by her. The world didn't think she was anything. The world walked all over her. Her husband walked all over her. People walked all over her. And she just kept shining for Jesus. And someday she's coming back. And this world will say, look, a mighty angel, watch out. Amen. That old lady with that with that white hair that just glows in the sunshine, it's so white. Did you know that Jesus is going to glow like that? Hmm, how about that? So here's Jesus coming back with his mighty angels in flaming fire. We want to look at that flaming fire today. The name of this message, Lord willing, is Christ in flaming fire. Hebrews 12, 29 says, for our God is a consuming fire. Go to Genesis chapter 19. We're going to run some verses and we're going to go. Genesis 19 and verse 24 today. The first mention of the fire of God here in the Bible, the first mention of fire in the Bible, Genesis 19 and verse 24, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. The first mention of fire is the judgment of God on Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, God is a consuming fire, and the fire of God is for judgment. That's the purpose of it. Now, we like 
like fire on this earth because fire warms us. Fire cooks our food. Fire moves our vehicles down the road in internal combustion engines. Fire propels jet planes through the air. Fire is used all over this world. Fire is what propels the ships across the ocean with their giant diesel motors. Fire is what moves the trains. Fire is used all over this earth. Fire in a way is electricity. In a way is fire. It's a little different until it comes into contact with stuff that isn't as conductive as metal. And then it shows you that it's fire. Because then whenever the electricity starts going through the wood in your wall, all of a sudden your house catches on fire and it shows you that electricity is even fire. Fire is the, re- the releasing of atomic energy, on of molecular energy that's stored up there. And that release of that energy is fire whenever things are burned up. Fire alters things. Fire changes the constitution of things. Fire burns away things that cannot withstand the heat, but it purifies things that can stand the heat. And so God uses fire time and time again. Genesis 19 and verse 24, then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. They say that man, he's just a old fire and brimstone preacher. You better believe it because God is a fire and brimstone God. And God rained fire and brimstone out of heaven on Sodom and on Gomorrah. And he overthrew these cities, the Bible says, and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities. Let's just get this straight. That means men. That means women. That means children. That means babies. That means old people. God said it enough is enough. And I've had enough. And this place is going to be burned to the ground. And he did it. God did exactly what God said he would do. And he burned Sodom and Gomorrah and all the cities of the plain to the ground. And you can go there today by the Dead Sea and see what's left. Because to this day, people do not live in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It is uninhabitable. It's under thousands of tons of salt water in the old Dead Sea today. And that whole plain has been decimated and desecrated and destroyed by God with the fire of God and the brimstone of Almighty God. Go to Exodus chapter 3. Let's look at another time that fire's mentioned. We're not going to hit them all. There's a ton of them in the Bible. If you go to a concordance and look up fire, you'll have two full pages and then nearly another full page whenever you get done with that. And that's three columns. On each page, there are a ton of references to fire in the Bible. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 2. Here, the God of all the earth appears to Moses in a bush. In Exodus 3 verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Now, again, we already mentioned that a lot of times the people in the Bible, God would supernaturally, divinely inspire their words of calling these things angels. But the purpose of that is that God was veiling himself from man. 
So while the word angel is perfect and inspired and pure, yet we know that this angel of the Lord is an appearance of Jesus Christ, that this is Jesus Christ in the bush, which is verified by other scriptures. We're not going to get into all that today, but here in the bush, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And here Moses is being shown by God that our God is a consuming fire. Now God would go to Egypt with Moses and judge Egypt. Go to 923. Exodus 9:23 and Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and the fire ran along upon the ground and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt so there was hail and fire mingled with the hail very grievous such as there was none like it in the land of Egypt since it became a nation so this is the thunderstorm of all thunderstorms here the hail is coming down and crushing everything it says and the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt all the was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. That's some hail. That is some hail. H-A-I-L, not hell, H-E-L-L. Hail, H-A-I-L. You remember when it hailed and we had these little balls about the size of marbles all over the yard out here of ice? Those don't break trees. I've seen hail fall the size of golf balls, and it can make some bad dents and ruin some roofs, but that don't break trees. Oh, it'll break a little sapling. What kind of hail does it take to break trees? This hail came and it broke the trees, and the Bible says there was fire running along the ground. I was driving down into Mobile the other day and I was driving by a cell phone tower and a bolt of lightning came down and connected with that tower and hung to it for just about a second. Strange looking thing to see that white streak of lightning freeze there and just hold there locked to that tower and I was amazed to see the tower kept running after it. But there was no fire, no explosion because that thing's grounded and it's grounded really, really, really well or that would have blown the thing up. It would have made a massive mess. I've seen lightning hit trees and it's like an explosion goes off and wood goes everywhere and the wood catches on fire. So this fire here in Exodus, listen, it doesn't have to be lightning. God could have just lit the ground on fire if he wanted to, but it looks an awful lot like lightning to me. And he says the fire ran along the ground. Imagine a lightning storm so strong that when the lightning hits the ground, it skips. I've never seen anything like that. And that lightning skipping along the ground, the fire running along the ground. And you know how fast lightning is. And you can't get away from that. Lightning's bad enough when it's coming straight down. But when it hits the ground and takes off at a streak of lightning across the ground, skipping across the surface of the ground, it would devastate everything and burn everything in its path. And here it's talking about the fire that God sent mingled with hail. And that's natural fire. That's natural event fire that God just um, used for judgment here in this text in 923. God's fire is even more severe than that. Our God is a consuming fire. Go to Exodus 13, 21. Here we'll find the fire of God for protection of his people. 
13.21, there's a pillar of fire here over the tabernacle. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now this fire of God, this pillar of fire would light the way for his people. The fire of God for his people is a joyous thing. It's a glorious thing. It's a protecting thing. The fire of God destroys the enemies of the people of God. And that's the whole context here in 2 Thessalonians 1.8 is that God is telling the church at Thessalonica that God's fire will protect them. That God in his vengeance will execute judgment on the enemy of Christ and the enemies of the church. Our God is a consuming fire. And that pillar of fire that was a comfort to the Israelis was a terror to the Egyptians. Go to um, Exodus 24, 17. Exodus 24 and verse 17, And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. And you'll find that these children of Israel, whenever they saw the fire and they heard the thunderings and the lightnings in Exodus 20, 18, and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, fear not for God has come to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. What was the difference? The difference was that Moses was pure. Moses was pure because of his contact with God and his faith in God and his communion with God. The people were not pure. So when the fire appeared on Mount Sinai, the people says, said, get back, get back. Don't let God speak with us anymore or we'll die. And they were terrified because of the fire of God. But Moses, who knew God, Moses, who was purified by faith in God, which is a forerunner, the faith that he had in the Messiah that would come, Jesus Christ is the same faith that we have looking backwards at the Messiah that did come, Jesus Christ, who died and was buried and rose again the third day and ever liveth to make intercession for us for us, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So that faith that Moses had allowed Moses to enter into the mount that was burning with fire. This mount that Hebrews talks about. This mount that tells us that the Bible tells us shook and the, the thunder clapped over and the people were terrified. This mountain that separated sinners from God was the mountain that Moses climbed right up the side of to have communion with God. And you'll find out that there on that mountain, Moses met with God and he said, show me, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And God put Moses in a cleft in the rock. And that preaches a whole message right there. That's like the spear print in the sight of Jesus. And there's Moses in that cleft of the rock and God's glory passed before him. And God let Moses see the hinder parts of his glory. And the Bible says Moses' face shone. And the people of Israel could not look steadfastly at Moses. And they had to put a veil over his face because he had been with God. And boy, doesn't that tie in with what we're talking about today. Because those who know God, those who are born again by the power of God, those who are saved by faith in Jesus Christ will go right up over that mountain of the law. The law is fulfilled in Christ. And instead of it being a towering mountain ready to fall upon me, it's the very means by which I have access to God because Christ fulfilled the law. 
and I go right up that mountain to God, and then there, whenever I see him in heaven, I will be like him, and I'll come back with him, and my face will shine brighter than Moses' shined, because it'll be a glorified face with the glory of God on it, and a glorified body, praise the Lord. Leviticus 10. <coughs> Leviticus 10, here we see God's fire compared with the strange fire, we're not going to get into this much right now. Um, just touch it and go. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense therein and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. So you have strange fire offered to God, and you have the fire of God judging Nadab and Abihu and killing them. We won't read that whole passage. You can put down verses 1 through 10, study it out. There, it, um, because of this passage, we understand that Nadab and Abihu had been hitting the bottle. They'd been drinking. And here they perverted the law of God and they offered strange fire. God killed them. So God told them, don't drink. He says, do not drink wine nor strong drink thou nor thy sons with thee. When you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. And that you put difference between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean. So the fire of God separated between the unclean and the clean. The fire of God is linked to the holiness of God. God's holiness is linked to God's fire. That's why people despise God's holiness because God's holiness has in its very, um, very existence, fire. The fire of God is linked to the holiness of God. Now, Numbers 3 talks about that as well. Numbers 9, there's the appearance of fire over the tabernacle. Numbers 11, um, let's go there real quick and let's see the fire of God amongst the people. Numbers 11, the people murmured against God. The people here murmured against God and against Moses and it says there in verse um, 1, and his anger was kindled. It says, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. So people saying, Lord, send the rain, send the fire. I wonder what would happen if God sent the rain and the fire. Most of the time these days, we just get the rain. That's the revival. You know, we'll see that more as we go on. We talk about the fire of God. Most of the time, we don't know what we're talking about whenever we say it. The fire of God is a judging, um, a judging presence of the holiness of God that burns away everything that is not Christ-like. We do need the fire of God, but are we willing to pay the price? So often we're not. Often when the rain starts to fall, we're happy with the rain, but we don't want the fire to come and burn away the dross. Number 16, and there came out fire from the Lord. That's Korah. Korah here and his company. And then all these Levites gathered together and they put incense in their censers and burned incense to God. And again, fire from the Lord came out and burned all of them in the book of Joshua. We have another man. So here we have Nadab and Abihu burnt with fire. Korah's men burnt with fire, though Korah was swallowed by the earth. We have Achan in Joshua 7. And he was burnt with fire when he had taken of the accursed thing and stolen from God. God had him stoned with stones and burned 
burned with fire. Go to Joshua 8 and verse 8. I want you to see this today. Our God is a God of fire. Our God is a God of war. He's a God that this world does not recognize. He's a God this world knows nothing about. Whenever people say Jesus, most of the time they are not talking about a consuming fire. They want nothing to do with a consuming fire. But whether you agree with that or not, yet God is a consuming fire. And I'll show you that it's Jesus Christ himself that we're talking about here in just a few moments. Here in in Joshua chapter 8, I went to Judges, bear with me. Joshua chapter 8, and in verse 8, Joshua is giving commandments by the word of the Lord, and he says, And it shall be when ye have taken the city, that ye shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord shall ye do. See, I have commanded you. And here all through the book of Joshua, God sent the children of Israel to eradicate whole nations of people. These people had become so wicked in the sight of God that God said, enough is enough and I've had enough. And when God says that, the fire comes and you can't stop it. When God says it's time to judge, God judges. Whether anybody agrees with his judgment or not, America, the time will come whenever God says enough is enough and I've had enough. And when God has had enough, you will not stop God's judgment no matter how much you think he's wrong to do it. You can have your little round table discussions. You can have your little podcast about God's love and mercy all you want to. You can say God loves us just the way we are in our sin all you want to. But the day will come when God says, says enough is enough and I've had enough. And when God has had enough, the fire will fall. And when the fire falls, you can't stop it. Here, God sent the fire to the cities of Canaan. Their men were killed. Their women were killed. Their children were killed. Their boys and girls were killed. All these people out here, they say they believe in Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. And they go and do their praise and worship. And they go and do all their feel-good self-help stuff. And they don't believe the God of the Bible. They don't believe in a God of fire. They don't believe in a God of judgment. I'm telling you, they have a different Jesus. They have a different gospel. They have a different God that they're serving. And that's all through the Bible. Go to 1 Kings. Let's just touch a couple here. In fact, well, I'm just going to tell you about them. 1 Kings, Elijah there on Mount Carmel cried out to God and the fire of the Lord fell on the altar. In 2 Kings chapter 1, this one's amazing. Here they came to capture Elijah. They sent soldiers to take Elijah. The king says, I'm going to go get that guy. And he sends soldiers out after Elijah. Elijah says, if I be a man of God, If I be a prophet of God, then let fire fall from heaven. He says here, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. To consume means burn utterly and completely. So here God is allowing his prophet to call down fire upon these men. And then again, it happens again to another captain and they're 50. People say, well, that's not the New Testament. That's the Old Testament. Well, I'm telling you, we're going to get some verses in the New Testament. I'm going to show you. Yes, for a time, for a space, God has opened up a door of grace and mercy to this lost and dying world. That if you will repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can have mercy today. But I'm telling you, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And the God of the Old and the New Testament is the God that is going to send fire again. And that's what we're reading about right here in 2 Thessalonians. Jesus Christ being revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire 
taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, vengeance, that's petty, that's childish. I don't believe in a God that takes vengeance. Then you don't believe in the God of the Bible. And you can call the God of the Bible petty and childish if you want to, but the fire of God is going to fall on you and you will burn if you do not turn. No matter what your Sunday school teacher taught you, no matter what they taught you in seminary, no matter what you learned anywhere in the world, no matter what the talking heads on CNN say, our God is a consuming fire. And he's going to burn up the wicked, taking vengeance, the Bible says, on them that know not God. That means that God is going to take revenge. Do you hear me today? God is going to take revenge. He is going to get you back for what you have done for him and he to him and to his son and to his church. And when God does that, it's going to be a thousand times worse than what you ever imagined. That's why he's opened the door of grace today and said, come because he loves you. So he's given you a way today to repent. But if you wait, the fire will fall on you. Repent before it's too late. Let's jump over to Matthew chapter 3. Let's look at some New Testament fire here. We've looked at some Old Testament. There's a whole lot more that we can't, we just don't have time in this, in the scope of this lesson to get into. It would take a much more prolonged study to study out all of the fire in the Bible. We're barely even touching the tip of the iceberg. Matthew 3 and verse 10. We're trying to get a good sampling that pertains to the context of the scripture that we're looking at today. But I encourage you to study it out for yourself. Here in Matthew 3.10, John the Baptist preaching, he says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in verse 7 that came to his baptism, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Boy, that message doesn't get liked on Facebook, does it? Flee from the wrath to come. He says, you bunch of religious hypocrites, you don't need to flee. You don't think you need to flee. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Go to Matthew 5 and verse 22. The Bible says, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Matthew 7 verse 19. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. The Bible tells us the parable of the sower. A sower went out to sow seed. Some fell on the wayside, the fowls ate it. Some fell on the hard ground where the rocks were, and it sprung up immediately, but because it had no depth of soil, when the sun came up, it was scorched and fell away. Some fell in the thorns, and the thorns choked it. And though it had the stalks, and though it had the roots, and though it had the pollinating flowers, and though it had the buds, yet it becometh unfruitful because of the corns, of, of the thorns. The cares and the riches of this world choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful unfruitful, though it was on the right track, though it had all the potential of bearing fruit, yet it becometh unfruitful. And then finally, some seed falls on the good ground and brings forth good fruit. What's that all about? 
Jesus said, whatsoever beareth not fruit will be cut down and cast in the fire. Let's look at fire in the New Testament for just a second. Jesus explained that parable. He said, when the seed falls on the wayside, it's like a man who does not understand the word of God, the the different grounds, the four different types of ground being the hearts of men classifying the four different types of hearts that the word of God, the seed is received into. And that way, that wayside, it just, it just bounces on the wayside and the birds come and steal it and snatch it up. And that's the devil taking it from taking the gospel from a man that doesn't understand the gospel. And then the seed lands in the, um, in the hard ground, the stony ground. And Jesus said immediately with joy, they receive it. And this is a man that receives the word of God with joy. Jesus said, they hear about receiving Jesus. They hear, Oh, I just need to call on the Lord. Oh, I want to pray that prayer. Oh, I want to go up there and get baptized. I want to be part of the church. Join me up for the church. I'll help with the bus ministry. I'll help with the nursing home. I'll help there in Sunday school, but they have no root in themselves. No root in themselves. The seed is still surface and the hardness of the ground has prevented the roots from going deep. And when things get tough, they fall away. They disappear. No fruit. They're cut down and cast into the fire. There's no, uh, no place in the, that you can, you can take that and make it anything but hell fire. They'll be cut down and cast into the fire. Cast into the fire. When a Christian sins, the Bible says his work shall be burned. It doesn't say he will be cast into the fire. His work will be burned. He'll suffer loss. Nevertheless, his soul shall be saved, yet as it were by fire. But he won't be cast in the fire. This man here without fruit will be cut down, cast into the fire. The next one, the thorns and the thistles, he says, these are they that, that when they receive the word, he says that the cares and the riches The good things and the bad things choke out the word and they become unfruitful. And here they are, they stick it in church. Maybe they're in church for 65 years and maybe they help in all the ministries of the church. But because of the cares and the riches of this life, the word, not listen, the work can, you can do work for God and never be in the word of God. You can do work for God and not obey the word of God. And here's our, here are people in the church house who are doing work for God. Lord, Lord, he says in Matthew 7, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name have done many wonderful works. By the way, prophecy in the New Testament, what it's talking about is, and what it's talking about in the whole Bible is proclaiming the word of God. A man who gets up and, and reads the Bible to you and preaches it with anointing is prophesying. That's what he's doing. It doesn't mean looking in a crystal ball and forecasting the future. It means proclaiming the word of God. Look it up. Prophet, we've made prophecy this weird Nostradamus thing. And what has happened is we've given the word prophecy over to the wizards and the, and the witches and the necromancers and all the occult to use the, the word prophecy and pretend like they're prophets when they're not. A true man of God, a true Bible-believing preacher preaching from the revealed 66 books of the completed Bible and the King James Bible in English is, a, is prophesying. That's, that's biblical prophesying. So here will be people from, get this, maybe even an independent fundamental Bible Baptist church who've preached the Bible for 40 years and God will say to them, and when they say, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have done it, cast out devils, he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. Maybe in an evangelical church, maybe in a King James Bible believing church. 
These are they that the thorns have choked out the fruit. They choked out the word. You can carry a Bible and not love the Bible. You can carry a Bible and not obey the Bible. You can preach out of a Bible and not be obedient to what it says. And the fire of God will burn them. They will be cast into the fire in the New Testament. Jesus talked about that fire over and over and over again. Let's go to Matthew 13, 40 quickly. Matthew 13 and verse 40. If I would have just turned there, I could have given you the parable of the sower straight from the Lord instead of having to paraphrase it. So look, you can look it up and read it there. Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower. Here in verse 40, here's another reference to fire. The tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be in the end of this world. The Listen, God doesn't burn his people in the fire. God does not send his children through the fire. He says, that never came to my mind. He doesn't burn his children in the fire. Now we know that there'll be a fiery trial that tries us Christians on earth. That's a whole different discussion, and that tries our works. But it's not where we are. We are, according to Romans 8, seated with Christ in heavenly places. Copy? We will not go through the fire as Christians, but the world will. The lost will. Verse 42, he says of these that offend, gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Verse 50, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And this is God taking vengeance. This is Jesus taking vengeance. Did you know that when you take vengeance, you don't do it with tears running down your eyes saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And Jesus isn't going to be crying when he takes vengeance on this earth. Jesus wept for Jerusalem when he came the first time. Jerusalem will weep for Jesus when he comes the second time. Chapter 18, it talks about hellfire, Matthew 18. Matthew 18 and verse 8, any preacher, by the way, that doesn't preach hellfire is not a preacher of Jesus Christ's gospel. Jesus preached hellfire a lot. And I'm not saying you have to preach it every, every single message. But if it doesn't come out, then there's a serious problem somewhere. Matthew 18, 8, he says, Wherefore, if thy hand or, or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee, for it is better for thee to enter into life, halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Everlasting fire. A fire that does not go out. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. By the way, he also preached that back in Matthew in uh, 5 and verse 29 and 30, talking about being cast into hell. And that's a really good, I'll just throw this out here just for it to help you. Sometimes you read two things in two gospels that don't seem to line up exactly, Jesus preached for three and a half years, and he preached many of the same themes in many different places. And so what you have whenever sometimes things don't line up exactly word for word is you have somebody remembering Jesus preaching this this time, and you have somebody remembering Jesus preaching it the other time, and somebody remembering Jesus preaching it the other time, and often that reconciles things in and of itself. If you'll just look at it, the Bible has no contradictions in it. 
Matthew 25, the Bible tells us that this everlasting fire was not prepared for man. God loves man. God made man in his image. God did not make man for hell. Anybody that preaches that God made man to go to hell, any man to go to hell, that God specifically created them for that, is teaching extra biblical. They're taking things in the Bible and going beyond what the Bible says into areas that God has not revealed to us. We know that he hated Esau. That's true. But it never says that he created Esau for hell. You say, doesn't he create some vessels for destruction? Yes, he does. But it doesn't say that he created the person for hell fire. And you have to take it all in with the other scriptures and balance it out. There's a balance to this thing. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 41 Here he says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The vengeance of God will be to cast his enemies into the fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. If you serve the devil, you will share in the devil's judgment. It's People talk about the devil's hell. I I say it. It comes up because we hear it. It's not actually the devil's hell as if he owns the deed to it or has the keys to it or that he sits at a front desk and grants admission to those that have earned the privilege to join his ranks. Nothing could be further from the truth. The only way that it is a devil's hell is that it was prepared for the judgment of the devil. It is God's judgment and wrath poured out on the devil. Mark 9 verse 43 And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Now Job 25, 6 um, is used to describe Job's uh, man's depravity. Worm is. And there's many psalms um, where where the word worm is used um, directly as a man, as a man, so we can take the Bible and define the Bible. And this worm here is talking about this body of flesh, the human body of flesh, where the Bible says, "I am a worm and no man, a reproach among men." Talking about man and his depraved, cursed condition in his body of flesh. So this worm there in 44 can be rightly divided and understood through Scripture, comparing Scripture with Scripture to be the human body. Here these people are cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm, their body, dieth not. Their body in its depravity, their body in its basest, in its most base constitution, will never die. It will stay there being somehow regenerated by the power of God, though it be consumed in the flame simultaneously. The fire is not quenched. He says in verse 45, And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, he says again, and the fire is not quenched. So not only will the fire be everlasting, but your body, if you go to hell, will be forever burning in hell with your sentient mind thinking within your burning body and feeling and sensing the fire and wrath of Almighty God. 
Verse 47, and if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. And that gives you more rightly divided scripture to understand the sacrifices back in the Old Testament. We're moving on. We didn't even, I didn't even plan on going there and I don't have it studied out. Psalm or Verse 50, salt is good, but if the salt lost its faith, savor wherewith or saltness wherewith shall ye season it have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another this fire that shall not be quenched this everlasting fire where their worm dieth not the eternal resting place of the damned is not a joke the atheist once said if i believed what your bible said about an everlasting hell he said i would crawl on my knees over broken glass a mile if i had to to tell one soul about the truth of what you're saying, if it's true. And then he leveled at that church and those people. He says, I know your Bible's not true, that you don't believe your Bible is basically what he was telling them. And so it is a fact. Those that would say, that would preach Jesus and they don't preach hell and they don't warn men of hell, I don't believe that they even know Jesus if they can live their life without warning people of hell and yet claim that they preach Jesus. Oh, Jesus loves you, but they never tell men about hell. They don't even know Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ came and preached repentance and turn or burn hellfire and brimstone. If you love Jesus, you'll keep his commandments, you'll love what he loves, and you'll preach what he preached if you're a preacher of Jesus. Luke chapter 3 and verse 9. We've got to keep moving here, running out of time fast. Luke 3, 9, And now the axe is laid unto the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. We have Luke 12 where Jesus says, I am come to send fire on the earth. Isn't that an amazing statement from a loving Lord and Savior, the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for the sheep? He said, I am come to send fire on the earth. Look it up in its context. John 15 speaks of the fire that they are burned in, the branches that bear no fruit, even John the Beloved. Even John the Beloved, who focused more on love than any other apostle in his writings, said in his book, uh, in his gospel that he gave us, that God gave us through John, that the branches that bear no fruit will be cut down and gathered together and burned. Go to 2 Peter 3, 7. We've got to keep moving. 2 Peter 3, 7 speaks of this fire. Time flies, and time will continue to fly. One day time will be no more, and only what you've done with Christ will matter. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. This will be after the final judgment of Satan. When uh, And we'll see that whenever we go through Revelation. Lord willing, more of that tomorrow. Um, just running through some of those verses in Revelation because we're out of time today. Um, but it says here that the Lord will come as a thief in the night, the day of the Lord, and that the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. It takes 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit to melt the most heat-resistant element down. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. 
As far as the elements that we know about, 5,000 degrees is required for this to happen. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The oxygen, the ozone, everything will burn. Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter in Jude. Verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, that means Sodomites. That means the gays. He says they went after strange flesh, and the Bible explains that in detail. So all of the sin, the fornication means shacking up, sleeping around, committing adultery. He says all of these are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Do you hear that today? You say, Brother Burks, why do you do what you do? Why do you go and why are you so crazy? Why do you do all this stuff to try and get the gospel out? Because I believe this book. That's why. Because I believe this book. And when I feel like quitting and I want to throw in the towel and I feel like I'm done and I can't go another step and the world doesn't want to hear it and nobody wants it anyway and why am I messing with this? And then I read my Bible. I remember why. And I go back and I do it again. Because I believe this book. The vengeance of God. Do you see that in your Bible? Jude verse 7. And there, wasn't that verse? Yes, in 7. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Revelation 19. Say, Brother Burks, you're not qualified. Brother Burks, there's people that could do a better job than you. Brother Burks, there's better. Yes, there are. I agree. But where are they and why aren't they doing it? Revelation 19. Here I saw heaven open, verse 11. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. We'll tie this together with our study in the last um, Bible Time podcast from... 2 Thessalonians 1 7. We'll tie that together when we do 1 9, and we'll tie these on Revelation 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 together, Lord willing, as we as we look at those verses. But here Jesus Christ is coming to judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God with a capital W. Read John chapter 1 if you're not sure who that is. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, it says, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. 
And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone." And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and the fowls were filled with their flesh. Verse 15 of the next chapter, verse 14 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Verse 8 of chapter 21, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Isaiah 30 verse 27 says that his tongue as a devouring fire. Prepare to meet thy God. He's coming in flaming fire. Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Repent or thou will shalt likewise also perish. Father, in Jesus' name, use this message. Turn us from our wicked ways. Give us power, Lord, and utterance and unction and zeal to warn men, Lord God, of the coming judgment and the wrath of God that will be poured out on all men. O oh Lord, do it for Christ's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.